I was sitting in my bedroom, just staring intently at my phone. I totally forgot that my father was sitting there and my, my college roommate, my, one of my best friends in college was sitting there. I couldn't keep my eye off the phone. I kept looking at it because I knew that there was a phone call that was promised to me that would change my life forever. It was promised to me. I knew that this promise entailed that my life would change forever, meaning that I would probably be playing in the NFL any moment. This day was promised to me by, re- re- uh, re- uh, by people who had great reputation. My, my college head coach, who pl- coached college football for decades, said, oh, Evan, you are going to get that phone call. The press in the Albuquerque said, oh, Evan, you're going to get that phone call. My agent, who said, I've never seen so much activity for the position that you played, and he's had client after client after client in the NFL, and he said, that this phone call, is, you know, it's going to come, I promise you. Actually, we're probably going to have four different phone calls, so be ready. I had the actual teams say, I promise we're going to call you on this day, be ready. Could have been the Steelers, could have been the Rams, could have been the Raiders, could have been anybody. Anybody that was talking to me, it's a, they, they are going to promise me on this cell phone, watch well, it was a different cell phone, this one's a little newer, but on this phone that I was staring at, I was waiting and waiting for a phone call because it was promised to me by people who have a great reputation. I'm having a little feedback, by the way. The thing is, is that if I was, since I was sitting in my bedroom, I was sitting there for about an hour because earlier I was sitting on the couch, a little more joyful, but I was in my bedroom staring at my phone because I was, I was panicking. I was anxious. I was worried that this promised call wasn't going to come. I was confident. Now I'm anxious because time is elapsing and it's going away and no call has come. But again, it's promised. I'm holding out hope. My roommate's holding out hope. My dad's holding out hope. But eventually my roommate got it. And so he got up and left the room. But I'm still holding on hope. I'm still staring at this phone call because, again, it was promised to me by people of great reputation. My dad got it. And he knew what he needed to do and he knew what I needed to do. So he got up and quietly left my bedroom, closed the door, and my tears were confirmation that this promise is not going to be held up. My dream ever since I was eight years old to play in the National Football League was over because a promise wasn't kept. Because I trusted in a bad promise, even though people, especially the team, said, hey, we'll call you. But yet, they didn't. Now, I rejoice and praise God that he didn't let me have that phone call, and I'm glad that I get to be here and now instead but that doesn't mean that because it doesn't mean I still don't feel pain. I trusted in a bad promise and I still feel that pain in my heart. I still feel that pain in my guts. I still feel that pain in my head and I can still remember these details because I trusted in a promise that ultimately wasn't fulfilled. Now as Paul has been writing to the church of Galatians as Pastor PJ has been brilliantly uh, laying it out for y'all. He's, he's warning them of a, of a promise that they're holding on to that is wrong. As we're going to continue this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, 
He's trying to warn that you're, you're about to believe a promise that's, that's weak. Don't do it. You already believe the right thing. Don't fall for this promise. It's, it's wrong. Don't do it. And as Christians, we can fall for bad promises, even though we're Christians. And so let's turn together to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, as the wind blows away. And let's look together. What is Paul trying to warn us of? What promise should we hold on to? What promise should we not believe? Let's begin in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were added to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now, intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Paul's trying to warn the Galatians, don't fall for this bad promise. Trust in the right promise. I fell for a bad promise. We can fall for a bad promise. So what is Paul trying to get at? He's trying to get, don't fall for the weaker promise. Fall, don't fall for the weaker promise. Instead, believe in the actual promise. He begins to give a human example in verse, uh, verse 15. A human example, uh, a man-made covenant. Even a man-made covenant, he, even Paul says in the Roman era, that no one can add to it once it's been ratified. The idea is if you sign a contract it's, and you sign it, it's, it shouldn't change. I mean, theoretically, unfortunately, that's why there's a ton of lawyers out there that change everything. And so even though it's like, oh, this uh, NBA athlete has signed a $400 billion contract, in reality, no, it's like $2 billion. It's okay. So because the sign a contract and it's an agreement. It shouldn't change. Now, if that's a human contract, what about a divine contract? Because isn't that, isn't that what God 
is giving, a divine, because isn't God promising in the, in the Mosaic covenant a divine covenant? Isn't the Abrahamic covenant an agreement a divine covenant? Therefore, if a man-made isn't easily ratified, a God-made cannot be undone. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. Now, I was going to read to you Genesis 12 and 15, but Pastor PJ already did that, the last like two sermons. So, Remember Genesis 12 and 15, that's the promise to Abraham. So that's the promise he's talking about. And he's saying, now he didn't say to his offsprings, he said to his offspring. Now, Paul knows that he's, you know, that word offspring is a plural singular, meaning it's like moose. And to say the plural of mooses, it's mises, right? Or mooses. No, the plural of moose is just moose. And so he knows that offspring in that, in that reference does mean plural immediately. But what Paul's trying to show the Galatians and what God's trying to show us is that the offspring is the single offspring that's supposed to come from the woman in Genesis 3.15. And who is this offspring? Who is Christ? The whole thing hinges on Christ. The whole thing is focused on Christ. The whole Bible, the whole enchilada from Genesis to Revelation is about Christ. So Paul begins his argument today, just focus on Christ. So it's simple as that. Point number one, just focus on Christ. We'll focus on what? Well, we'll get to that. Just focus on Christ. Just as a, if let's say, a bunch of murder hornets came swarming in here, which would be terrible. And then say murder hornets now are poisonous and deadly to us. And murder hornets are here because God is judging us for going to Cane's instead of Chick-fil-A. So that is a sin. I must judge you, bridge ministry, college ministry, for choosing Cane's inferior chicken to the manna and quail itself from the wilderness Chick-fil-A. It's because of your disobedience, I'm going to punish you. Now, the CDC comes out and says, you know, the Center of Disease Control comes out and says, all right, we figured out the solution. We figured out how you can be saved from the murder hornets from Asia, which if you've ever seen a picture of a murder hornet, it's terrifying. I had one on the slide and decided, too scary, I'm not doing it. They're like the size like this big. They're scary, ginormous. So the only way that you can be cured is uh, we've made this bronze quail, and if you look at it, you'll be fine. We would look at the CDC and say, wait, uh, let me look at this straight. If I just look at a quail... A bronze quail that you made, I'll be healed? That's weird. That, 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 that's real weird. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Because that's not how the CDC usually works. You see, but God gives an example back in Numbers 21. A lot of you already know what reference I'm talking about. Israel's in the wilderness, and because of the disobedience, God sent serpents out there, and they were biting and they were killing the Israelites in the wilderness. And God provided a solution. And he gave Moses very specific and I would say bizarre. Let's be real. That would be a bizarre instruction. All right, Moses, uh, you're gonna make a bronze serpent and all I have to do is look at it. If I was Moses, I'd be like, what, what are you talking about? That's weird. But okay, I'll follow you. I'll trust you. And he gives the instructions to the Israelites and they're being attacked by snakes and not murder horns, but snakes biting them and they're seeing their family members die. And they say, wait, are you kidding? Wait, Moses, all I have to look is a bronze serpent and that's it? That seems like too good to be true. That's, that's weird, Moses. What are you talking about? But they would, ha they would ha be able to trust in God because of the evidence that he's laid behind. They've already seen bizarre things. They came out of Egypt. What just happened? 10 plagues. They saw hail from, fall from the sky. They seen water turn into blood. They seen the firstborn of the Egyptians die. Like, okay, weird stuff happens. I get it. 
Not only that, they walk through a Red Sea, so they're like, okay, I've seen weirder things than just looking at a bronze serpent, so I might as well do that. But not only that, they see a pillar of fire and a pillar of clouds guiding their way, the presence of Yahweh himself. So it wasn't that much of a leap for them to go, okay, yeah, I, I'll, I'll listen to his instruction just to look at a bronze serpent. Because what God wanted in that moment for the Israelites is, hey, you need to be saved by faith. And that's what he's telling us even today, that we need to make sure we're saved in faith. So that's why we need to focus on Christ. But before we get there to our salvation, we need to make sure we focus on Christ when we read our Bible. I know a lot of you here. I saw y'all in True North and we had a great time and now you're having a better time in the bridge. And I'm happy for you. I still miss y'all. I'm glad to get to be here. But y'all know, I know a lot of you read your Bibles multiple times a day, every day, religiously, but we need to make sure we're focusing on Christ when we read the Bible. I remember sitting at Javier's, a very expensive Mexican restaurant. The only reason I was there is because my friend's dad was paying for the meal and is for his friend's birthday. And so naturally, when I was eating my $25 lobster, um, I looked over to my left and I saw a couple of actually probably your age or just a little older and they were here. And first off, I was like, how are you here? I can't be here. How are you here? And for the rest of the night, my friends and I couldn't stop laughing because it was the most painful and awkward date we've ever seen. This poor young lady, she's dressed all night. She looks beautiful. She looks wonderful. She's sitting there just staring at her date and the guy is just looking at his menu. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to figure out the order or translate the entire menu from Spanish to English. No, I think it was just because he's nervous, really nervous but he wasn't focusing on his date. And then when he put the menu down, guess what he did? He grabbed his phone. And I'm sitting there going like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? You have one job, just focus on your date and the date would go well. Now to clarify, I'm not asking you to date Jesus. That's incorrect. Please don't ever say that. You'll never date Jesus. But we need to focus on Jesus when we're reading our Bibles. Sometimes we just read to find uh, arguments to win at apologetics to beat up our friends at school or in our lives or our family members. Sometimes we read it just to like, I'm feeling bad, so I'm going to read something encouraging. That feels good to me. Sometimes we read it just mainly for ourselves. And that's what the Pharisees were doing when Jesus confronted them in John chapter 5. He says, you're searching the scriptures because you think you'll find eternal life in them. Eternal life for you. In reality, the scriptures point to me because I am eternal life. Submit to me. And later the disciples were reading the scriptures wrong and Jesus called them in Luke 24, foolish ones. Bless you, slow to heart. But instead he said, look at the scriptures and you will find me. It's not finding Jesus in everything. Oh, is Jesus that one rock in that one passage? No, he wasn't. But will, you will see throughout the narrative of the entire Bible, you will see Jesus, but we're supposed to seek him out. We're supposed to listen to him as he speaks to us through his word. We're supposed to seek him out so we can obey him, seek him out so we can submit to him. But we first have to read our Bible, step one, to seek out Jesus. So we just focus on Christ. We have to focus on Christ in our Bible reading, but also ultimately what Paul's going to get at, focusing on Christ for our salvation. Focusing on Christ for our salvation. Just like the Israelites, all they had to do is look at the serpent and they're saved. And Paul's saying, you know that. Galatians, my church, I told you the gospel. You believed it. You are already in Christ. So why turn back to this weak promise, this worthless promise of works of the law to save you? Because that's not true. So why do you want to be slaves? 
And for us, like, how does that apply to me? Sometimes we take what we see as fruit and good works to justify our faith and assurance. And we should, I want to, I want to have assurance. I want to do something about it. No, 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 no. We have, we want assurance. We seek it out to Christ and we see if has he done work in us. We had to focus on Christ for our salvation, just as as Christ was the bronze serpent lifted up. All we have to do to be saved is to see the cross, to see that Jesus is in our place, that Jesus has died in our place. He's suffering the wrath of God in our place and he died in our place. And the payment of the sins are completely forgiven. And to prove it, he rose from the dead. And all we have to do is believe. As a result of our belief, we'll repent. So we believe and repent and we're saved, that's it. And the Galatians knew that, and Paul knew that they knew that, and he's trying to remind them, don't, this is the promise you need to hold on to. Don't hold on to this weak promise. Focus on Christ. Focus when you're on Christ when you read the Bible. Focus on Christ for your salvation. And then because since we are saved, we focus on Christ in every part of our lives. I know you guys, are, now y'all are in college. The question is, are you doing college for Christ? A lot of you are working. Are you working for Christ? Are you trying to build up your resume for Christ? Are you planning? Are your plans focused on trying to glorify Christ? Are your hopes and dreams and desires for Christ? Are you doing the hobbies and the fun things you like to do for Christ? I was talking to some of y'all and I was asking, what's different in Sure North and, uh, and, or high school? They said, well, to be honest, it's not the school. It's actually kind of lightened a little bit somewhat and work's been fun. But to be honest, what's been nice is that we have all this free time. We can do fun stuff finally. Parents are letting us have a little bit of freedom. So my question is to you, are you using your freedom for Christ? You can travel, go visit friends, do fun things, but are you doing them for Christ? So Paul begins his argument with, hey, the focus is on Christ. The offspring of Abraham is Christ. The whole thing is about Christ. But then he continues to make his point to the Galatians. Verse 17, this is what I mean. The law, the Mosaic law, which came 430 years afterward. He's saying this is a law that's written later. It's the constitution of the United States is older than any law Elisa Vieja has ever made because Elisa Vieja has only been around since the 60s or something like that. I don't know, the 30s. The, the constitution's been around for 200 plus years. Elisa Vieja, not that much. And so if Elisa Vieja says, you know what, we're going to ban all guns from the city, we all know, especially Amir, will say, no, 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 no. This constitution, this older document that was written 200 years ago, uh, supersedes your little tiny argument. And no, I'm going to have my guns. Thank you very much. And so that's what Paul's trying to make. He's saying this older promise, this older covenant, the Abrahamic covenant is not nullified because the law is new. The law is newer. It does not make a promise of God void. He continues in verse 16, if the inheritance then comes, uh, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. The promise again in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. The world will be blessed through your offspring. This is my promise. He's trying to focus. This is God's work, not your work. God's work saves, your work condemns. And then he answers a question that the, his opponents would ask him. Well, what's the point of the law? What was the law written? Wasn't law written so that we can go into the land and live? No, the law was written because of transgressions, because of sin. And it was put into place through angels by intermediary. Well, what does that mean? He's saying when the Sinai, angels represented God, Israel is represented by Moses. There's people involved, but God is one. 
in Genesis 15, when God made the Abrahamic promise, when he sealed it in blood, it was God and Abraham, right? That's what Genesis 15, right? No, it's God and God. Abraham was knocked out of sleep. He took a nap. God knocked him out, but God made a promise with God and said, this promise I will never break. Whereas the Mosaic law, God and Israel, Israel broke it. And so Paul is going back to a greater covenant saying, no, the promise is greater than the law. Is then the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If, there was, if life was in the law, the law would have clearly stated it. But Paul corrects, corrects them saying, but the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin. The point of the law was to show that we were sinful. Don't murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Okay, I won't do that. But by the way, you're gonna break that. So here's a bunch of sacrifice laws that you need to do so that you can have your sins covered until the ultimate sacrifice to come. Why do you think the sacrifices were in the law in the first place? Because we were gonna, dis- the Israel was gonna disobey the law. And so if the life was in it, that's what it would have been there for. But instead, it was supposed to point, the law was going to point to the promise by faith. Eventually, faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. As Pastor PJ alluded to the last two sermons is that those who are of Abraham's offspring are those by faith. Abraham was counted righteous because of faith. Moses because of faith. David because of faith. Daniel because of faith. All the righteous and faithful of the Old Testament because of faith. In order to be part of the family, it has to be faith. And that's what Paul is trying to remind the Galatians. That point number two, trust his promise over your effort. Trust his promise over your effort. What I appreciate about your generation, especially a lot of y'all here, is that you guys are very pragmatic and very practical. You know that, like, why would I go in a lot of college debt when I don't have to? I'm going to get my GE at Saddleback and transfer somewhere else. That's brilliant. I wish my generation, the millennials, would think like that. Unfortunately, too many of us didn't, and now we're causing problems. I'm sorry. But imagine if that top school, that dream school that you didn't even apply to, that top school, that maybe the Ivy League, the one that, oh, the career I need, I need to get a doctorate, but that would cost me millions of dollars, literally, to go, let's say, to Harvard or Cornell or, or Yale or Stanford. It would cost me millions of dollars just to get my bachelor, master's, and doctorate at the same school. This is ridiculous. But imagine you get a phone call from Stanford University and say, hey, we don't let you know that you've been accepted to Stanford and your tuition's covered, and your housing is covered, your books are covered, your insurance is covered, actually your food is covered, and everything, your gas is covered, and your travel back and forth, everything is covered. So welcome to Stanford University. This is great. You'll be blown away. This is an amazing free gift. You're like, why? What what happened? Oh, there's a generous donor who covered everything for you because they just wanted to. And now you go out there, you're flying to the Stanford, you're getting in your dorm, you're like, oh, this is exciting, I'm in Palo Alto, Northern California, this is cool, but I'm nervous. I, I kind of want to keep my standing at Stanford, so you know, I'm going to go out and do something about it. So you go mow all the lawns of Stanford University. You go out of the shower drains of all the dorms, you start cleaning all the shower drains for all that disgusting hair that gets in there. And you're like, no, I'm going to do this just to make sure that Stanford keeps me. That would be foolish. Why? Because you're covered. Actually, you'd be insulting the person that's covering you because you're like, I need to add to this. I, I, I don't trust that this covers me enough. I'm going to add to it. That's what Paul's getting at. 
He said, your salvation is covered and you know that. Why add circumcision? Why add the dietary laws? Why add the, the, the feasts and the festivals? Why add these things that were covered by Christ? Trust uh, in his promise over our effort. And once we truly understand this, we will joyfully relinquish control. Some of us are control freaks. I'm one of them. Ask my wife. Everything has to be clean and put away before I go to bed. Otherwise, I can't sleep. And now, I'm, you know, she's pregnant with our son, so that's going to be ruined. I've seen Pastor PJ's five kids. They're amazing and cute. I don't know how he does it. But we joyfully relinquish, relinquish control. Imagine that final, that exam that you're dreading. All of a sudden, the teacher emails you, hey, you guys don't have to take it. And, and by the way, you're going to get the points for it. Don't worry about it. You'll be so relieved. Or what about that job interview, the dream job you have at that company like Apple or SpaceX because NASA is not doing anything anymore. But you get that dream job interview and it's like, oh, the interview's covered for you. You're good. You're in. You'd be so relieved, right? That's kind of the, almost this, this, uh, just a taste of the relief that we have understanding that our debt greater than the millions that would have cost to do, go to Stanford University from bachelorate to doctorate, it's a greater debt because of our sin and Jesus has covered it. So we will joyfully relinquish control because we believe the promises, the, the promises that, that, he, that God has given us, the promise that if you believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, you are saved. That's why he wrote 1 Corinthians 15. All you have to do is believe in and you'll be saved. That's why they, uh, that's what God promised in 1 John 5. All you have to do is be born again to repent and believe and you are saved, nothing else. That's why he wrote John chapter three. But we have to believe those promises then we'll actually relinquish control. We won't try harder to be more of a Christian. We won't try to do, do better to try to earn our salvation or earn, earn our assurance. No, instead we'll look to Christ and relinquish control. But when we see that, we will actually mournfully repent for, for, from trusting in our works. If you, even as a Christian, have trusted in your works for assurance and salvation, we need to repent because that's in, that insults the work of Christ. Christ was on the cross for us. Christ was facing the wrath of God for us. And if we try to add to that, as Paul later says, like how perverse is that? How wicked is that? We can't do that. We need to morphally repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Help me instead to trust in you. So the next time you want to find assurance or find a salvation, you need to stop, drop, and pray to Jesus himself. He's the one that gives you the promise. He is the one that gives you the faith, not us. Because by grace, through faith, we have been saved. Why? So that we can't boast all glory to King Jesus and not us. So trust in his promise over your effort, joyfully relinquish control, mournfully repent for trusting in any of our work and turn to God to remove our sin, not us. Turn to God to remove the sin in our lives. It's not our blood, sweat, and tears. Now, as you've been Christians, for many of you here, you know that the Christian life is full of blood, sweat, and tears. There's the American adage, you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do the hard work. That is so true, but misapplied so many times, especially in our faith. We can pull ourselves by our bootstraps for a while, but eventually we're going to get old and wrinkly and have a humpback, and then we need a walker, and we're not going to have boots anymore. We're going to have sneakers with Velcro. Just can't really pull our bootstraps on. We've got to have Velcro and our shoes on. Actually, we need someone else to do it. No, we need to turn to God to be able to be able to fight the sin in our lives. 
Yes, there will be hard work. It's, it's like a combination of things. There's, it's like us trying to hike up Mount Everest. We can try to get there on, uh, up there on our own, but we need Jesus as a guide, but we also need Jesus as our energy. So that illustration does fall short because it's God who works in us. It's not us who work in us. It's God who's in us. Our old selves have died. The new self in Christ is here. So if you want to remove the sin in your life, whatever it is, turn to Jesus turn to Christ. You're like Frodo on Mount Doom right now, trying to carry out this burden. If you're not a Christian, you are holding the burden of your sin. If you are a Christian, you're holding the burden of your assurance. You need to let go. You need Samwise to tell you, man, I, I mean, I mean, Samwise, it doesn't, he's not the full Christ, right? Because remember what he says? If you, if, if you've not seen Lord of the Rings, shame on you. If you don't like Lord of the Rings, repent. And she agrees. But as Samway said, he said, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And the music swells and it's a beautiful tear-filled moment. You're like, yes, Samwise. Jesus is better than Samwise. He can carry it for you and he can carry you. And he, we need to trust him in that. We can't get up Mountain Doom at all. We need Jesus to take our sins and sanctify us. As Pastor PJ has alluded to these last two sermons, we need Jesus fully for our salvation and we need Jesus fully for our sanctification. So in your small groups tonight, I want you guys to open up and be vulnerable. Examine how you go about your Christian walk if you are a Christian. And really ask yourself, am I trusting in my effort to bring assurance to my faith? Am I doubting my faith and trying to work it out and trying to read my Bible a little bit more and praying a little bit more and attending church a little bit more and serving more? Or am I trusting in Christ? And that this is just a response of a love for him. Is this Christ working in me? That, is that why? Really be open tonight and ask yourself, and if you find yourself that you have been trusting, just repent from that and say, God, help me to do, instead, God, help me to live it out for you. Give me the strength to live this out instead. Help me not to trust in myself. Help me to find assurance only in your work and not mine. But Evan, I've been a part of Compass Bible Church ever since I was born. Been to Iwana, been to the Edge and the Narrows, with you in True North and now I'm in the bridge with Pastor Peach. I get this. I get it. I know it's Christ alone. I understand. I know my works are worthless. Pump the brakes. Because remember, the Galatians were Christians. And Paul was giving a warning to Christians and say, you're falling for a trap. And so let's follow what Paul has to say in verse 23. He say, to look out for the traps ahead. So Paul continues his argument. says, now before faith came, before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. Because Jesus hasn't come yet, those sins had not been taken care of. Those, those, the, the, the sacrifice hasn't happened yet. So then the law, what was the point of the law? It was our guardian until Christ came as our guardian, as our guide up the mountain. It's, it's like the, the only way I like the bull is with the, the bumper rails there so that my bowling ball does not ever go in the gutter because I have a bad habit of guttering bowling balls and ask my wife, I'm terrible at bowling, but I like the gutter rails because I can throw it and it just corrects it back to Christ. And that was the point of the law, to curb sin, but also to point you to the one who's going to atone for the, your sins, to want the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ is our guardian for what purpose that we may be justified by faith. The point of the law was faith. Abraham understood that. Moses understood that. David understood that. It's by faith that they were saved. But now that faith has come, Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. 
We are no longer under our guardian. Why? Because Jesus is here. And because Jesus is here, because we believe in Jesus, we are sons of God. How? Through faith, trusting in the cross, trusting in the resurrection. So if we are, have been baptized in Christ, we are in Christ. If we have believed and repented, we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, then we, we are Abraham's offspring, the offspring that will be blessed by God to be the ones in the, the, a part of Abraham's family. As Pastor PJ has mentioned and alluded to what scripture says, that those are part of Abraham's offspring are those of faith heirs according to works. No promise. So don't do those things, Galatians. Don't trust in circumcision to make you more of a Christian. Don't make you, don't make, do, don't do the dietary laws to make you more of a Christian. Don't do extra things to make you more of a Christian. Just follow Christ. So point number three, don't fall for the trap of other qualifications. Don't fall for the trap of other, other qualifications. I've got a text and I read on my phone, turns out that three of your parcels have been missing. So click this link to figure out where they went. Well, well, this is like the seven text I got. So this is clearly a spam. By the way, if you get that text, it's a spam. Don't click the link. FYI, if you didn't know that. It's just like those emails you get. Congratulations, you won $10,000. You won $1 million. You won $3 billion. Congratulations. Just click this link and give us your information. We'll transfer the money to you. That's a scam. We know that. And you might get a phone call later soon in life that might say, hey, um, hi, uh, Brianna, this is uh, the IRS. You owe $50,000 in uh, money, so you need to go right now and uh, just give us your credit card. We'll cover it all. This is your public service announcement. The IRS will never call you unless you've talked to them before. That is a fraud. The IRS will only send you a letter, by the way, if you owe taxes. Just, just remember that. So when you get a phone call, you can mess with them. Like, oh no, I'll do that. But you know it's a trap. We see these traps so easily, but yet we're duped all the time. As Christians, we think we will see the trap of us trying to earn our salvation or the trap of trying to build up our assurance through works. No, but we think we'll see it, but we fall into it all the time. We can't fall for the trap of, of other qualifications. What's the first trap? Again, I alluded to it. Don't fall for the trap that your fruit or good works save or assure you. I got to talk to two different camps right now. If you're one who is believing that your works add to your salvation, you are damned to hell. And that's why Paul is so writing so urgently. Now, if you're a Christian and you're trying to build your assurance up of trying to make sure that you're saved by, I'm going to read a little more and serve a little bit more and, and, and stretch myself a little bit more in the name of my own assurance, then you need to repent. And go back to your first love, that is Jesus. But heaven, what about James chapter 2? You'll, uh, I will show you my faith by my works. That's what the Mormons say. That's what the, some of the uh, Catholics say. That's what some of the other th people say. Like, what about, what about these works? Oh man, you're, missing, you're reading it wrong. Because it's Christ who lives in us. Christ is doing the work. I will show you my faith because of the work that Christ is doing in me. Christ is the one that's changing me. Christ is the one that's curbing my sin. Yes, there's blood, sweat, and tears, but Christ is doing the work and I'm following after him and trusting in him for energy. That's what we need to do. That's what you need to do. That's what the Galatians needed to do. Trust of the, of the, the, the God of peace to sanctify us. 
So don't fall for the trap of other qualifications of making sure that, okay, I'm going to make sure I, I, I feel assured in my faith. I'm going to go do stuff. No, 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 no. Don't trust in you. But people ask us, why are we Christ- Christians? And your statement comes up, the first words that come up, because I, red flag. You need to rephrase that. Because if you're a true believer, it's not because I, it's because of Christ. The reason why I'm a Christian, because Christ died for me, he paid my sins, and I trust that. I see the work in my life because I see Christ working in me. So I have to make sure, is, are we going to say because I or because Christ? And the second trap that we'll fall into, and that the Galatians are falling into, is don't fall for the status to save us or to assure us. Because we have to go back in time at a very unfamiliar time because they were worried about being a part of Abraham's family, to be, to be Jewish, to be true Jews. And they had these laws that separate them both. The dietary laws, the festivals, circumcision was to make sure that people knew, oh, these are people of God. And so people thought, oh, I need to believe in Christ and, and add these things in. Those, those are the Judaizers who are trying to trick the Galatians. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Only by faith you're part of Abraham's offspring. If you are in Christ, you're part of Abraham's offspring. That's why he writes in Romans 9, challenging the Jews in Rome, saying, just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're saved. Think about it. Who was Abraham's children? I say children. Isaac and Ishmael. Just because you're born of Abraham does not make you saved. Why was Ishmael not saved? Why was Isaac saved? Because Isaac was part of the promise. What about Jacob and Esau? Aren't they descendants of Abraham as well? Well, Esau I hated and Jacob I loved. It's by faith in the promise that we're saved. Not if we've been a part of Compass Bible Church ever since you're in diapers. Not because if you are part of another church ever since you were in diapers. Not because you're here right now does not make us any better than anyone out there. The only thing that makes us righteous before God is Jesus himself and our trust in that. Now on the flip side of things, maybe some of you feel like you're too dirty for Jesus. You, you, you can't be a part of Jesus. That's why Paul drops this bomb on them. He says, there is no, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, no male or female. A Jewish free man was like trusting in his status to be part of God's family. He's like, all right, as a man, I can be circumcised. We won't get into that. I'm free. I'm not a slave. That's great. And I'm Jewish. I'm part of Abraham. I'm saved. But maybe you're the Gentile slave woman who's like, I I feel like I'm so far away from God. What does Paul say? It's by faith that we are in Christ. There's no more distinctions. There's no more separation. It's only those who have faith in Christ are part of Abraham's offspring. So don't fall for the trap of other qualifications. Don't fall for the trap of our fruit to save or and to assure us. Don't fall for the trap for our status to either save and assure us or to keep us afar from God. Anyone can repent. Anyone can believe. That's why Christ died and came. What are we supposed to do with our works though? I know we're built for good works. Ephesians, it says we were designed for good works. Evan, what do I do? Instead, express your love through works knowing that the promise saves you. 
The works are just an expression. It's, as Luke says, it's the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. No, the evil does evil, but think about that. The good in the person's heart produces good. Now let's think about this. Without God, are we, without God in our heart, is there good in this? No. But since God is good, and if we have God in our hearts, a.k.a. Christ, then we have good in us. And if we trust in that goodness in us, a.k.a. God, then the abundance of our mouth, our actions, our thoughts will be on Christ. We will love. And if we love, we will do his commandments. We'll follow what Christ says, not because we have to, but because we want to. Why do we want to? Because what, like the woman in Luke chapter seven understood, because he has forgiven much, therefore we love much. If you want to increase your love for Christ right now, think about the sins that he has forgiven you today, this moment, yesterday, a week ago, 10 years ago. And think about how he covered all of it by his blood. He faced the wrath for every sin Think about that. And the more you think about that, the more in love you will be. You'll, you'll turn from there's this mournful to joy. So don't fall for the trap. Don't fall for the fruit. Don't fall for the status. Instead, express it in, uh, express your love through works. Advent, I would, I don't know, love an example. I would love to see how that's, this is lived out. I mean, I can give you 10 steps to be a more loving Christian, or I can just talk, tell you about my friend, John Donnelly. He became a Christian, maybe you know, five years ago. Man, this guy's hilarious. This guy has the joy of him, the joy of God in him. Every time I'd walk up to football practice, I met him, by the way, four years ago when I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we actually labored together for four years on these campuses of Dana Hills and San Juan Hills to to reach people for Christ. You know, if you know my testimony, you hear the name Rocky Brown a lot because he led a football Bible study and he still does to this day. And he tries to lead football players and high school football players here in South Orange County to Christ. And when I met Rocky again, after 10 years, when I came on staff at the FCA, I met this guy, John Donnelly. And he was laboring with Rocky to try to reach these football guys for Christ. And we became friends because everything he just cared about was Christ. He was that kind of guy that would randomly start like dancing awkwardly. You know, he could not dance, but he did not care. He would just like shimmy like this. He'd start breaking out with song, even though he could not sing for his life. But because of his love for Christ, that's why. And then I didn't, I only had the pleasure of meeting him after him, after he was a Christian. Before he was a Christian, people knew him. Be like, dude, this guy's not good. You know, if he was a Christian, he was not perfect. Not perfect whatsoever. But man, did he trust in Jesus? Did he trust in Jesus to change his life? And he dedicated his life for that. I knew that because every morning at 6 a.m., I would get a text with a Bible verse, thoughts, application, and a prayer every single morning. Now, my challenge to you is I know a lot of you will like say in your small groups, let's, hey, let's stay accountable. Let's, let's reach out to each other this week. All right. John Donnelly is holding you accountable. He did this every single day. Not for just me. Uh, when I first met him, his list was like 20 strong. Th this year, he's like, Evan, I got like 60 guys on here. He's sending 60 text messages 
or singing this message every day to 60 different people, guys who are Christians, guys who are like interested in Christ and people who do not like Christ. He didn't care because he loved Christ. He focused on Christ alone in everything that he did. He read the Bible only looking for Christ. He'd be, when I met him like at Dana Hills when he, where he taught, and he'd be like, Evan, I read this passage. This is awesome. Do you see Christ in here? I'm like, I do. He's focused on Christ for his salvation. He argued with Paul saying, Paul, you are not the chief of sinners. I am. Man, I'm a wicked sinner, Evan. I could not, oh man, I could not even earn my way out of hell. But praise God for Jesus. Everything he did was for Jesus. If you went to Dana Hills, you ever heard the announcements of there is free pizza, fellowship of Christian athletes, B1 right now, or recently this year, because he helped me out, free Chick-fil-A, B1, True North Christian Club, be there. And if you know you've ever done ministry in the high school campuses, we're not allowed to say free food over the speaker, but he did not care because he loved Jesus. I was standing with him out front of the school. He showed me a, 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 a coach sharing the gospel. He turned up the phone a little louder to make sure everyone heard it. And I'm like, hey, I can hear it. It's okay. He's like, bro, do you think I care about being fired for Jesus? Oh, praise God if I got fired for Jesus. It'd be great. Because he focused on Christ. He trusted in his promise over his efforts. He didn't fall for the trap of works. He did not even think twice that his works could save him or assure him. He trusted only in Jesus. It was a childlike faith that was so beautiful to see. He knew that if he fell for the trap of not heeding the warning that Paul is giving the Galatians, that he would be uncertain about his salvation, that he'd be worried Instead, he put his full trust in the promise and he lived it out and not trust his works. My friend John, even though he, he loved to dance, he loved to sing, and right now he's singing to God. Because three days ago, he passed away. He's 55 and passed away a few days ago. I don't doubt his salvation whatsoever. Why? Because his focus was on Christ. When I got the, I saw the message on Facebook that the head coach at Dana, a friend of his, said with, with um, pain to announce that Donnelly's passing this afternoon. He asked my wife, I was crushed. But I was more joy because he's finally with the person that he wants to be with. And I knew as I was prepping the sermon that this is the example for you. John is your example to follow. Imperfect, very imperfect. But he trusted in a perfect person for his salvation and assurance. And that's why I want for you, a 55-year-old man who hasn't been, played, been in college for decades, is your example right here, right now, to follow and emulate. And that's the thing I want you to take away. Be like Donnelly. Be like Paul. Like David and Moses and Abraham and trust and only trust in Jesus to save and sanctify you. Then, then and only then you'll have a peace that be able to be understanding. 
to move forward and to have joy that's beyond understanding, to glorify God whenever, to share it with anyone. Like Buddy the Elf, you don't care who you share the gospel with or your disciple with. You won't care because you love Jesus and you have your focus on Jesus. So please, I pray that you would focus only on the promise. Please pray with me. Dear heavenly and wonderful, merciful Father, we just want to thank you so much for your promise. God, we didn't last long in the garden. You give us one job and we failed it. And yet you showed mercy and you gave us a promise. A promise that, Lord, one day an offspring would come from the woman and we will be saved. We will be back in your presence. So, Lord, I pray that every one of us would see that promise, this beautiful promise. We, don't, we won't fall for the trap, the false promise that Paul has warned in the Galatians, the false promise that we can add anything to our assurance or to our salvation. Instead, Lord, let us tonight and tomorrow, this week, this month, resolve to trust in your promise more, to lean into you more, to keep each other accountable, to believe you and only you. So please, Lord, be with these students tonight, these small group leaders tonight, and help them to walk away loving Jesus 